0: Well, today we are going to wrap up the series, but before we jump into it, I was just going to say, I forgot a moment ago, parents of the graduates, you did good. You did good. You know, yeah. Give yourselves a hand. Because what we forget is while they had a journey for 12 years to get there, maybe even longer for some, that was a journey for you as well, and you did good. And for those that are graduates, I I just want to say a personal word of thank you. Thank you for letting me into your life. Thank you for many of you I was able to coach. Some I didn't coach, and you were on the other side, and you slaughtered my teams, and thank you for that. But thank you for the times of spiritual investment, letting me speak into your lives. I love you for that. Today, we're going to wrap up this series uh, called "God." Or the Bible Doesn't Say That. And we've looked at a lot of different things about this idea of the, the Bible doesn't say that. We've talked about such things like judging. You know, we shouldn't judge other people. Well, what we found out is the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, what the Bible Uh, condemns as worldly judging, but what it advocates is making biblical judgment calls. We've talked about such things like, God just wants me to be happy, and we found out God doesn't want us to be happy, God wants us to be what? Holy. Holy, not happy. We've talked about everyone goes to a better place, and yet when we read Matthew 25, we find out the Bible does not teach that, because if they're going to heaven, heaven is much better than better, it's glorious, and if they're going to spend eternity apart from Christ, It's not a better place. It's a horrific place to be. The Bible doesn't teach that. Then last week, we talked about that God will never give us more than we can handle. And what we looked at was this. The Bible simply does not teach that. Now today, we're going to look at one that we've all either said, we've all either thought about, or we've known someone that bought in this philosophy, and it's this, that God wants me to follow my heart, right? Have you ever heard somebody say that? Just follow, God wants me to follow my heart, yeah. Or you may not have... Heard it, you said it. Well, I just know that if God's put it in here, I just need to follow my heart. Now, for some of you that aren't quite very emotional driven, you'll say stuff like this. Well, I just need to go with my gut, right? But really what you're saying is, I need to follow my heart. Now, real quickly, here's a problem with that statement that God wants us to follow our heart. At some level, it has a, a high level of selfishness in that statement. That means if I want something, then I should pursue what I want. It has a selfish. Tone to it. It also has a kind of a lack of consistency. Here's what I mean our heart is driven by our emotions. And can we all agree that our emotions sometimes go like this when life happens? Can we agree that our emotions are never rock solid and steady? And when our emotions are driven to move the heart, then there's inconsistency in our actions. So when we say that God wants us to follow our heart, that's a pretty selfish thing to say as well as it's an inconsistent thing to say. And because when you come to Scripture, what the Scripture advocates is not go with what you feel, go with what you know. The Bible teaches that we are to deny self. Luke 9.23, Jesus says, if any man would come after me or follow me, he must first deny himself. Meaning, if we're going to let our heart drive us and it's selfish, Jesus says, no, you need to deny self. You need to deny the earnings and the longings and the desires of your heart. Deny self. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that above all else, the heart is wicked. And yes. you think about that. Now, what does that mean? Here's what that means. That if we lean on our heart to make our decisions, it will never take us to the right place. The reason we gave the seniors the book we gave you is because it's a reminder that sometimes in life you're going to follow your heart and it's going to take you down a direction and it's going to lead you to a destination you don't want to be at. So with the power of the Holy Spirit, we change our lives. We change our direction. The heart, listen, the heart is wicked. It's deceitful. It will never lead you down the right path. That's what Scripture says. Scripture also says this, my favorite, one of my favorite verses, the heart is something to be protected not followed. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. The writer of Proverbs doesn't say, follow your heart. He says, guard your heart. Put a hedge around your heart. Protect your heart. Be careful what you let in, because what you let in will, in fact, eventually do what? Come out. He says, guard your heart. So when we think about this question, or this statement, God wants me to follow my heart, it's simply the Bible does not say that. So when you begin to search, what does God want for me? What does God require of me? What does God want me to do? God does not require of you. He does not want you to simply follow your heart. In fact, I could tell a ton of more scriptures about how God wants us to bring our heart into submission, how we're to yield our heart, but never to follow our heart. So if God doesn't want me to follow my heart, what does God want for me? What does God require Of me. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be in the Old Testament today, just one verse, Micah chapter 6 verse 8. Some of you may already know it. Micah chapter 6 verse 8. Here's the beauty of this one verse. It reminds us of the simplicity of what God desires for us. I don't know about you, but I've been a Christian for a long time. I've been a Christian for 35 years. I was nine years old when I came to faith in Christ, and for 35 years I've been a follower of Jesus. And here's one thing I've done really well, complicating what it means to be a Christian. I'm really good at that, because I got all these thoughts swirling in my head, all these things I've got to do, all these things I've got to be about, all these things I've got to believe. I mean, I've got all this nonsense going on, and yet this one verse reminds me, Doug, if you want to live a life to please God, here's what God requires of you. There's three things, and you just need to focus on these three things, and all this other nonsense you're worried about will work itself out. So here's what it says in Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. It says this, Micah, he has told you, old man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and really should be translated mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So when you look at your faith and you look at your journey, because all the time I have people ask me questions like, you know, I just don't know what God wants for me. I don't know what God wants me to do. Listen, come back to this. Here's what God wants for you. Here's what God wants for us. Those of you that are graduating, whether you're staying here or going on, please hear this. Your convictions that you've developed over the last several years are going to be tested like they've never been tested before. They are going to be put out there, and and they're going to be scrutinized, and you're going to be ridiculed, and you're going to be tempted to let go of those convictions and to go with the world. I'm just telling you, it's coming your way. And if you've been through college and after high school, you know that that's true, don't you? And so, when we're in the middle of what do I do, what does God want for me, it comes back to these three things do justice, do what's right, love mercy, not give it, but love it, and to walk humbly with our God. Now, I want to unpack these three ideas. Because I want us to understand, what does it mean for us to do justice? What does it mean for us to love mercy? And what does it mean for us to walk humbly with our God? First of all, do justice. It's the Hebrew word, mispot. And really to be, to do justice, there's two things that are required of us. First thing that's required of us is we have to have an eye to see what is right and to see what is wrong. Now, please hear me on this. Everybody, I mean, the reason we, I chose this one for this week is because it's Senior Graduate Sunday. And I thought if they never, ever come back to church again, which I hope never happens, what would be the one thing I'd want them to hear? And it's this. And for the rest of us, this is important for us as well, too. That what does God require of me? What does God want me to do? He wants me to do justice. And if we're going to do justice, first of all, that means that I have to have an eye to see what is right and to see what is wrong. Now, there's some of you in the room let's just see you first, because that means everybody else is not you. How many in your room are very black and white? It's either right or wrong. How many of you are like that? OK? Awesome. Six of us. Great. Great. <laughs> Now, here's the problem, and of course, this is a problem for, I guess, 210 of you in the room, and a problem for those of us that don't see, I mean, I know sometimes we see the black or white in different situations and relationships. you gotta, You got to give and compromise. I get that. But when I'm talking about the world and what the world's throwing at us, if we're going to do justice, we have to have an eye to see what is right clearly and what is clearly wrong. The problem in the world that we live in is there is no clear right and there is no clear wrong. There's a lot of gray in there, right? Would you agree with that? There's a lot of gray. In fact, the world we live in, there are no absolute truths. Now, when I say absolute, here's what I mean. That means there's a truth that is universal, it's consistent, means it never changes, and it's eternal. It lasts forever. That's what I mean by absolute truth. The world we live in, and you know it and I both know it, That there are people out there that maybe you work with, maybe even you in the room today, that say, you know what, I'm not sure there are any absolute truths. Because what is truth for Emma may not be truth for Angie. What is truth for Steve may not be truth to Aaron. I mean, whatever's wrong for them may not be wrong for them. We live in a world that says, hey, look, it's not about what is absolute. It's about what works for you. Consequently, the world we live in doesn't care about justice. They care about fairness and tolerance. Right? That's the world. Now, can we chastise the world? No, because the world is lost. But as believers, what does God want from us? He wants us to do justice. He wants us to see clearly what is right and clearly what is wrong. That's what God requires of us. As believers, we are to be minded about what is right. What is the right thing to do? What is justice? Because the Bible will teach this there are absolute truths. There are things that are universal. There are things that are consistent. And there are things that are eternal. Let me just show you one of them the Word of God. Amen. This book for a believer is the sole authority by with which we live our lives. If Jesus said it, it is true in my book. It's truth. This is absolute truth. So if, as a believer, we need to make sure we go to God's word and ask God's word to show us what is right and what is wrong. Let me give you a thought on that. Too many times in my life and in your life, we're confronted with a situation or circumstance and we're always driven by our emotions. Well, you know, I kind of think that's right, but you know what? You know, I, I don't want to kind of cross my lines here or step over the boundary, so, so I'm just going to kind of give into this thing. Most of us, when a situation, would go to our own opinions, our own biasness, and our own personalities to discern what we think is right and wrong. What I'm telling us as a believer is, we need to go not to our own selves, not to our own ideologies, our own experiences, our own philosophies. We need to go to the truth of God's Word. The reason this book is so valuable is because this is the heart and the mind of God for us. This is it. This is not a book that should collect dust on the nightstand that's irrelevant for us. This book is the sole authority by which guides my life. This is absolute truth. And when I'm trying to discern what is right and wrong in the world, instead of going to myself or coming to you, I should first go to this. Right? Let me give you three areas. This is really true. This is true. I I, I had like 12 areas listed, but let me just give you three that are really relevant for us today. And You see them all the time, that we need to go to God's word to find out truth. One of them is the whole idea of alternative lifestyles, right? You can't turn the TV on and not see that whatever sitcom you're watching, whatever TV show, there's somebody in there that's pushing, promoting, and advocating alternative lifestyles. And many of you in the room grew up as a Christian. You grew up in the church. And I just want to say this to you. I did too. And unfortunately, our opinion about that and how we treat those people probably was wrong. You know, I grew up in a generation that if you were divorced, it was viewed as the unpardonable sin. I can meet people in the church I grew up in that were divorced and they were kind of ostracized. And I'm like, that's a problem for me. God can still use them, right? Do you believe that? Because some of you in the room fit that category and God can still use you. And the thing about it is, when it comes to the alternative lifestyle, you know, many in the church go, we don't know what to do with them. So, what we do with them is we just don't talk to them. We alienate them. We ostracize them. But we need to go to God's Word and says, what does God's Word say is right and what's wrong? I have a friend of mine who lives in Texas who's in ministry and he's looking for a job. He's trying to, to move from where he's at and he's interviewed with this church in Nevada. And the reason I know all this stuff is because he always sends me their emails and then they'll ask him about a questionnaire and he'll ask me this Well, Doug, how would you answer that question? So basically, his answers, for the most part, when he sends them back to me, were the answers I just gave him, because obviously he doesn't know what he thinks. So one of the questions he went through was this whole questionnaire was, what would you do, because he's applying for a student pastor position, what would you do if a student came to you and said they were pursuing an alternative lifestyle, they were coming out of the closet? And I know what he said, because he said, Doug, what would you say to this? And so he basically answered the question by saying this, well, here's what I would do, I would love them. I would show them that I love them, I care about them, and once I was able to build credibility with them, and once I was able to build a relationship with them, I would continually point them to the truth of God's Word, that that lifestyle is a violation of what God's Word says, and it's not what God's design and plan for them is, and I would try to show them the love of Christ and lead them to salvation in Christ. But I would love them through it, not kick them out. And I thought, that's a great answer. it's exactly what I told him to say, right? Now, the church sent back to him, we don't feel like you're a fit for us. So he goes, okay, why, why am I not a fit? He said, they said, because how you answer the question about the student who's coming out and living an alternative lifestyle? And here's what the guy said, because I read the email. He sent it to me, and I read the email. I still have it. He said, you know, as a church, four years ago, we believed what you believed. He said, but four years ago, we had a staff member who had a family member who came out of the closet, and we began to search our heart on what the Scripture says, and we've changed our position. Now, here's what he literally said. That our experience has determined our theology instead of our theology shaping our experience. That's what he said. And I'm telling you, it's really easy in the world that we live in today to let our personal experiences, our personal biasness affect and determine our theology. But the truth of the matter is we've got to go to God's Word and say, God, what does your Word say is right? What does your Word say is wrong? And let my theology of what you say determine and shape the life experiences that I have. Do you see the problem with the email? Let me give you another example. Relationships. Probably one of the things that we spend the least time going to God's Word on is relationships. Do you know that God's Word has something to say in regards to the idea of dating and friendships and marriage and how to deal with conflict in relationships? Did you know that? In fact, for some of you, maybe you're in that dating category. Listen to me. Scripture's very clear for you. Do not be yoked with an unbeliever. What does godliness and ungodliness have to do, what common thing do they have in common? They don't. Light and darkness don't go together. And so for some of you, you know, your only criteria for dating is, are they breathing? Right? Are they breathing? Come on. You know I'm right. But when you come to Scripture... And, 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 you know, as teenagers know this, teenagers get so annoyed at me sometimes. Because when I say, hey, i got a boyfriend girlfriend, my first question always is, are they a believer? Well, I don't know. Well, that's a problem. You should know. Because when you yoke, you know what a yoke is. It's when a, a, a strong bull and a, a weak one put themselves together and one strengthens the other. But the, but the one who's stronger in what they do always guides and directs the other. And he says, don't be yoked. Don't put yourself in the same yoke as an unbeliever because they will always drag you down. Friendships. How do you decide what friends you're going to have? 1 Corinthians 15.33 says that bad company corrupts good character. That when we choose to be with the wrong people, it will always corrupt. Well, you know, Doug, I don't believe that because I believe I can be a godly influence on them. That's not what Paul said. Paul said that when you try to be a friend with someone, when you are in bad company, it will always corrupt good character. So your friendship, many of you in the room would say, hey, I've got a non-believer who's my BFF. I would simply say, that is just not biblical. You've not come to Scripture and go, okay, this is clearly what Scripture teaches us. Because here's what happens. You think, hey, I can make a difference on them. Listen, the point of your relationship, if they don't know Jesus, is not to be their BFF. It's to love them, care for them, befriend them, but point them to Christ. Because one day, that person you call a friend is going to stand before a holy God and give an account of what they did with Jesus. And on your conscience, would you want it going, you know what, I never told them about Christ? They may spend eternity in hell or I told them about Christ, and they said yes to him. Talks about friendships. Talks about marriage. Ephesians chapter five. Galatians chapter five. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Women, love your husbands and submit to them as you submit unto the Lord. It talks about conflict. You know, Matthew chapter 18 gives a perfect picture of how we're to deal with conflict in a relationship. When someone hurts you, you don't Facebook it. You don't put it out there. I'm feeling annoyed today. I don't care. <laughs> listen, if you want to be godly, you don't, listen, I'm not being ugly. please quit living life on Facebook for some of you. Not all of you. And I'm not pointing your fingers. I'm not calling anybody out, because some of you are probably annoyed at sometimes at what you read is what I am. Maybe most of you. But the point is this, that if we're going to deal with conflict, Jesus gave us clear boundaries for that. You go to them to try to win them over. And if that doesn't happen, you take someone with you. If that doesn't happen, you take it before the church. I mean, the Bible is clear. And the point is, the reason we don't know some of this stuff is because we're not going to truth to find out what is right and what is wrong. Let me give you one more example. How you live. Do you know that the Bible is crystal clear on how we are to live as followers of Jesus Christ? Most of the New Testament is instructions about how believers are to live. But we'll never know it if we don't start investing this word into our lives. So, what does God want for us? He wants us to do justice. But how are we going to do justice? We can only do justice if we look to God's word to show us the truth of what's clearly right and what's clearly wrong. Are you with me on that? If you've got that, say amen. amen. Now, not only do we need to know truth, we need to, second of all, we need to commit to doing what is right. Now, this is where it gets tough. Because many of us may know the right thing to do, but committing to do what is right is a whole other category, isn't it? Because if I choose to do what is right, I know what's right. I know what God's Word says. I, and, and listen, isn't that where most of us believers find ourselves struggling? We maybe know what God's Word says. We know we shouldn't. We know we wouldn't. We know we couldn't. We know we can't. And But yet we walk away going, but I really want to. And we struggle with what we know impacting the commitment of doing the right thing. And I'm just telling you, if we're going to do justice... Not only do we need to have an eye of what's right and wrong based on the truth of Scripture, we need to commit to doing what's right. That's why the Apostle Paul said, or or, what James says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers also. Don't just know what's truth, live it out. Second thing he says here is do justice, love, mercy. Now, I want to tell you what mercy is. And if you don't have a definition of mercy, you might want to write this down. Mercy is not receiving what I do deserve. That's mercy. Mercy is not receiving what I do deserve. Now, when he says love mercy, let me kind of put it in this context. To love mercy means this. It's to look at a situation, to look at a relationship, to look at an issue, and see what could be and see what should be. Now, follow me here. I'm going to confuse you on purpose. What could be and what should be. To say what could be is to say, what do they deserve? Now, if someone's hurt you, what do they deserve? Your full wrath, right? Your tongue lashing. I mean, whatever you can throw at them. And when you think about what they could be and what they deserve, that's what you think about. But also to love mercy, not just thinking about what could be, it's thinking about what should be. See, what should be asks the question, what do they need? See, could be says, what do they deserve? Now I'm angry, I'm ticked off. What do they deserve? They hurt me. What should be is, what do they need? Do you know what everybody needs who's hurt you? You ready? You know what everybody needs without exception? Compassion and forgiveness. That's what they need. And I'm just telling you, if we're going to love mercy... We must have an eye that can see what could be and what should be, yet we offer what should be. We offer compassion and we offer forgiveness. Now, this is really hard because maybe you've been hurt. And listen, if you've been hurt before, in my counseling sessions with people, here's what I find out about hurt. People fall into one of two categories about hurt. One is I want them to feel my pain, right? I want them to know how bad they hurt me. And so I'm going to treat them in a way that lets them know how bad this hurts. I mean, how many of you, even in your marriages, when you have conflicts, you're always bringing back the past to remind them the magnitude of the hurt that you felt when they said something they shouldn't have said? A lot of us. And then there's another category. It's not just they want you to know how bad they hurt, but they want you to be paid back, right? They want you to hurt, right? That's saying what could be. But yet in the midst of our hurt and our pain and our anguish, we need to offer them what should be. We need to offer them compassion and forgiveness. And quite honestly, please listen to this, quite honestly, loving mercy should be a delight to us. You're saying, Doug, you mean if somebody's hurt me, that I should love the fact that I need to be merciful to them? Yes, that's what I'm saying. How could you say that? Because isn't mercy what God has shown you? Isn't mercy what God has shown me? Isn't mercy what God has shown us? Hey, listen, if my Bible still reads correctly, here's what I know, that I'm a sinner. That I was lost, blind, wretched, pitiful, and separated from God. But God loved me so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that I would not receive what I do deserve. Because because I'm a sinner, what I deserve is death, hell, and separation. And with Jesus down on the cross and me putting my faith in him, I no longer receive what I deserve. I receive his mercy. And guess what he gives me that I don't deserve? His grace. Right? And the reason we should delight in loving mercy is because that reminds us of the mercy that we have received from him. One more thing he says here. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what the Lord requires. of you do justice, love mercy, and lastly, walk humbly with our Lord. Walk humbly with our God. Here's what that means. To have a desire to journey with the Lord. To have a desire to to journey with the Lord. Sometimes I get asked this question, what's the greatest struggle in ministry? What's the greatest thing that tears at your heart in ministry? And I would just say, outside of people not knowing Christ, here it is, you ready? This is probably the second thing. is when people that I've known follow Jesus at some point in their life, because of life events, whatever it is, decide to walk away. Yeah. And they quit journeying with God. Yeah. All you seniors that were up here a while ago, let me just give you some encouragement here. All right, let me give you kind of, maybe not encouragement, maybe some instruction. Statistically, according to Barna and the Gallup polls, kids that are 18 through 22 that grew up in church, over like 70-some-odd percent, I don't remember the exact statistic, over 70-some-odd percent of those will walk away during their 18 to 22 years. Between 18 and 22, just walk away not be involved in church, not follow God, not journey with God. And I'm telling you, when I think about that, when you think about the the 15 that were up here and the 10 more that weren't here, and you think about that age group, and you think about us, I mean, it's sad to think there's many of us that are journeying with God, and at some point we decide we don't want to journey anymore. And what the Lord requires of us, yes, is to do what's right. Yes, is to show mercy to people. But he wants us to walk humbly with him. He wants us to journey with him. Now listen to me. That is a lifestyle. It's not a hobby. It's not a job. It is a lifestyle. That's why he says, I want you to walk with the Lord. I want you to be actively close to God. Now think about that. The creator of the universe who spoke the world into existence, who's reigning high on his throne, wants an intimate, personal relationship with us. He wants us to walk, not walk behind him, not walk ahead of him, to walk with him. And notice what he says, the the idea of walking. He said, I want you to walk with God humbly. You know what that means? That means we are to know our place and to submit to his authority. That while we walk with God, we understand that he is the supreme authority in our life. And if he says it, we buy into it, we believe it, and we're going to do it. That means we fight against things like self-satisfaction. We fight against things like self-centeredness. We fight against things like self-dependence. What does God want from us? To walk humbly every day with our Lord. Now, I just want to challenge you with this today. If you and I are going to be the men and women of God that God has called us to be. We have to do justice. We have to have an eye to see what is right and wrong, not based on our opinions, but based on the truth of God's Word, to see what's right and wrong, and then be committed to doing what is right. We have to love mercy. Because guess what? If you're in a relationship at all, are you going to get hurt? You better believe it. Are you going to have that heart's desire to show them how bad you hurt? Yes. Are you going to have a heart's desire to pay them back and let them hurt too? You better believe it. But we need to be quick to show the mercy that God has shown us. Because let me just say this to you. What the person who hurts you deserve is not near to the magnitude of what we deserve because we are sinners. Right? But God in his kindness, love, showed us mercy. And if we're going to be the men and women of God he wants us to be, we need to walk humbly with our Lord. We need to choose every day to spend time in this Word and to walk with Him. To pursue Him. And to submit ourselves to Him. So I'm going to pray for us today. And here's my prayer for all of us in the room. And here's my question. Which one of these three areas do you struggle with? Do you struggle with the whole justice thing because you're like, you know what, I I, I know I'm confronted with issues, but I don't know what's right and wrong. I know what I think. Well, if that's where you're at, you need to find out what does God think. Because if you're a child of God, we're going to go with this, aren't we? We're going to go with this book. Because this is absolute truth. And maybe you struggle with that. And what I ask you to do today, if you struggle with doing justice, not that you don't want to do what's right, but you don't know what's right. That you would start investing yourself in God's Word and ask God to give you a passion and desire to hunger and thirst for His Word. Maybe you struggle with loving mercy because you just hold grudges way too bad. Right? Would you just be reminded today of the mercy that God has shown you? And would you repent of that and say, God, would you break my heart and help me show my husband, my wife, my friend, my kids, my whomever, the mercy that you've shown me? Or maybe you struggle walking with God. You are not having an everyday moment and time with the Savior. Would you just be reminded of this today? He wants one with you. He wants you to walk with Him. He desires you to walk with Him. And would you just say, God, today, I'm going to turn things around and I want to start spending time with you. Which area, justice, mercy, or walking with God do you struggle with? And today, would you confess that to Him and ask Him to change your heart? Let's stand together as we pray. Everybody stand with me. Father, I love you. I thank you for today. And once again, I thank you for our graduates. And I pray that if there's that one verse that they etch on their mind as they walk that stage on Thursday, for some of them, maybe others, it's a different time, but as they walk that stage, that what you require of us is to do justice, do what's right, to show mercy, to love it, and to walk with you. God, we can simplify what it means to follow you with those three things. And I just pray for all of us in the room today, Lord, that we would ask, what area do I struggle? Do I struggle craving to do what's right? Do I struggle showing mercy? Do I struggle walking with you? And whatever that area is, Lord, I pray that we would just confess that to you today, that we would just be gut-level honest today and just say, God, this is where I'm at. I'm struggling doing what's right. It's not because I don't want to, it's because I don't know. But I need to get in your word and find out. Or God, I'm struggling showing mercy because the hurt is so deep. God, would you give me the grace to show somebody mercy? Or maybe just because you're just not walking with God today. Would you just ask Him to speak to your heart? God, we need you today. We need you to, to move us, to compel us, to challenge us that all you ask from us, all you require of us are these three things. God, help us discover where we're weak and may we confess it and may we lean on you and may you grow us in these areas. For it's in your precious and glorious Son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. The